the field, people will come. And it doesn't happen. You have to look at how you're doing business. Hello. Welcome to White Sox Business, the only White Sox podcast to once miss a recording because it was hanging out with Hulk Hogan and the NWO. I'm one of the two people to regularly host the show, Tom Fernelli, and he's the other one. He's the Athletics White Sox reporter, James Fegan. On today's show, we don't have any live interviews, and I think that's the first time we could say that on a Monday in a while, but James did talk to former White Sox infielder Tyler Saladino about his life in the KBO, and we're going to discuss what they discussed in an entirely separate discussion, one that could maybe start a conversation. We also play Good Take, Bad Take for the first time in a while, but before we do any of that, James, the hell are we supposed to do with ourselves now that the last dance is over? Well, there is KBO on at like 3 a.m. all the time. That's something. Uh, we can continue playing, uh, I don't know, is this like a year old FIFA game that I'm like wasting my hours away on uh, most of the time? We, we got that. Yeah, the new one The new one usually comes out in like September. Right. But like, at the, why would you buy the new one in September if the new console is coming out in December? This is video game chat now. Is there a new console coming out in December? I'm not up to date on this. I think like it's supposed to be around that time. The like, PS5 there are, there are or new sh- Xbox? PS5. Really? Yeah. I'm out of the loop on the, the new video game systems. I mean, I just got my system now because, <laughs> lo and behold, I thought I might be in my apartment for a while. and uh, Finally, I was right on one of my 2020 predictions that I gave in spring training. Well, my advice to you would be that just stick with the PS4. And if you do get a PS5, just just wait a while before you get the PS5 because the price is going to be ridiculous when it first comes out and then it'll gradually go down, hopefully. Although that really wasn't hasn't been the case with the PS4. Just, just like the price of tickets to sporting events when uh, there's no vaccine out. Yeah. You can, get, you can go to a White Sox game super cheap now. So if you've been complaining about ticket prices keeping you from going to games, well, you're full of shit now because now you're not at the game, are you? it's just health regulations. Yeah. <laughs> you bitch. Yeah, I actually, oh, we'll get to it later, but it's funny because we're talking about PS4s and a PS5 coming up, and I recently hooked up my PS3 for reasons, like I said. We'll discuss later. Before oh, yeah. we just, yeah. I saw your Twitter. You're a popular person on Twitter. I am, and... I'm a popular person in real life too. I mean, are any of us anymore? I uh no. No, not really. Who's popular? Who would you say is popular in real life right now? Um John Greenberg. <laughs> I haven't had my performance review yet, so that's what I'm saying. <laughs> John Greenberg. He's a wonderful human being and we love him very much. And he's really J- tall. Yeah, he's suit. Well, I mean, yeah, he's is he? No, he's not. Yeah, he's but like he, six five. Yeah, he looks taller than he is. Yeah, because it's just his. He's a man of great, great personal moral fiber and character, and it just makes him look taller than than he actually is. Just maybe like six seven, give or take a foot. Any anybody else you want to say nice things about before you review? Uh, the founders of the athletic. <laughs> yes. Wonderful gentlemen they are as well. They, I mean, they're seven feet tall. Last yeah. I checked, yeah. they, 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 uh, they, they stepped on a dude once. Yeah, it was an accident. <laughs> but and and you know what happened? The guy they stepped on, he apologized because he realized he was he shouldn't have been in their way. He also then accepted a very lucrative offer to join the the company. Mm-hmm. And that's how Ken Rosenthal became the Athletics MLB writer. <laughs> Origin stories. We specialize in them. <laughs> Because uh, Ken Rosenthal is not seven feet tall. 
Uh, so yeah, let's let's talk about you. You talked to Tyler Saladino on Sunday or Saturday? Uh, basically this morning. <laughs> so yeah, because that's the thing. Like with the time difference between the United States or Chicago in particular and Korea, like he's <laughs> he's it had to be kind of difficult. He's 14 hours ahead, or if you don't want to think in terms of days, he's 10 hours behind. Mm, I mean, it's Tuesday there. Yeah, I, like I said, if you take out the day and you just do it from a time standpoint. Who it, doesn't want to think in terms of days? What's like, what type what of day choice is, is that? It's what day Monday. is it right now? It's Monday. You, wow. You know, honestly, the only reason I ever know what day it is is because we, we record this freaking podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, shout, hey, again, shout out to The Athletic for having us do these podcasts and, by extension, helping us understand the, ta- the time-space continuum and how all of that still works. Because, man, that is that is really how I, my week is now. It's like, this is a podcast day, and this is a day without a podcast. And the names kind of just melt into one another yeah i mean every time i uh i i start sinking into resentment about how we're somehow doing two a week podcast uh, on no material repeatedly um uh, and how they've yeah, somehow gotten yeah. longer uh I, I i i am thankful of the fact that we we know what day of the week it is james you said you resent doing two podcasts your performance reviews coming up buddy oh shit <laughs> well I don't, right, think right. they, I don't think they listen to the podcast. Let's let's start that over again, James. What do you think about the the podcasts helping us know, know what day of the week it is? Uh, otherwise, I'd be dead. There we go. All right. So there, there. Tuesday's wandering a traffic day, and I don't want to walk <laughs> on the wrong day. You couldn't wander into traffic right now because I don't know if if your part of Edgewater is anything like my part of Edgewater. You're closer to the lake, but like a lot of the streets oh, in my a, neighborhood are pretty much canals right now. There was a cop outside my building all throughout the last dance last night who was just yelling at people that they couldn't turn on the Lakeshore Drive uh, because it was flooded. Uh, I, I, you, you don't often in like interactions with the police know why they're like, maybe their tension level is like two or three steps beyond um, what it should be. But then you hear a guy like sternly yell, no left turns like every 10 seconds for two hours and then i you know i can get why that guy's a little irritable if if you are a listener and you're not in chicago here's here's a little stat from the weather channel in the last four days thursday through sunday there were 7.88 inches of rain which is over 21 percent of the average yearly rainfall for the area so literally what we typically get for a year we got a fifth of in four days it is wet well, you know, we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll cherish these days when we're uh, living in a, a drought-stricken uh, wasteland. <laughs> well, I, I tweeted about it in my glass half full. Is like, hey, at least it's happening at a time where none of us can go outside and do anything anyway. It's not yeah, like well, White Sox games were rained out because of it. Where would they be right now? I don't even. I have not been paying. I attention. I think they were actually in San Diego over the weekend, which means that the Cubs probably would have been in town. But yeah, I I don't know. I just got a notification. Oh wait, I got a trip actions notification about like get ready for your stay in Minneapolis. So oh, I actually think- no, they were they would have been home this weekend. They would have had a four game series against the Blue Jays. Pretty much rained out. <laughs> oh, that would have led to some fun fucking remake games against a a team from a different division. A four game series, and it was pouring all four days. Good luck trying to find time to make those up. That's pretty much what happened last year. Was they just played through them? So. Baby, the coronavirus is a good thing. Hmm, 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 hmm. It's not all bad, folks. 
The jury it's is still out because of stay-at-home orders. Yes. Okay, but anyways, you talked to Tyler Saladino, and he is in Korea playing for our beloved Samsung Lions. What did you talk to him about? Uh, bunt defense. Yeah. How's I mean, what? How are they doing it over there? What's What's their major approach? Well, he says everything's a lot more contact oriented. Um, a lot because pitchers, uh, like the zone is a lot smaller. Um, like you basically can't run up high and hard four seamers at all, and everyone's like, there's not as much power, and it's just a lot of putting the ball in play, and everyone's fast. He says it's really hard to turn double plays. Like it, as much as we think of like. Koreans for like Taeho Lee and like having the big chubby sluggers. That's really like the anomaly. It seems like it's a, a league of like 300 Danny Mendix, but based on his description, just like little guys like putting the ball in play and chopping in the dirt and running it out uh, all day and all night. But no, that's not really what we talked. We did talk about that, but um, I was mostly interested in just how different it is and how much maybe different cultural it is that maybe allowed them to have this recovery of me playing baseball sooner than, than, you know, obviously we are. And that's part of it. But at the same time, their test load, their caseload is so small right now that the way Saladino was saying is that social distancing really isn't a thing anymore. He just walks around the street as much as he wants. Um, it's, it's completely normal in the clubhouse as far as like interacting and, and uh, you know, high-fiving or being in contact with one another. He's obviously not playing with a mask or anything like that. Um, they are expecting to, they're going to start doing this really gradual rollout of like middle school, high school, I forget the order he said, middle school, high school, elementary school, but they're going to reopen their schools or are starting right now. And if that goes out of hitch, um, um, that then they expect fans to start rolling in the stadium pretty soon because they just have that much control. Now, at the same time, when it was worse, it was a way, a very strict lockdown, and they were very, um, very uh, compliant with it. And like, really, no one was going outside. And like, even when Saladino arrived, he was kind of told this ghost story because they were very specific of foreigners uh, coming in because they reviewed them as the people who had come in and kind of spread the virus. So they they were told some story warning them when he because when he arrives, he's put on this mandatory like fourteen day self quarantine of this German tourist who had come and like snuck out of his apartment and like. There were people who were spying on him, dying him out to the cops, and he was, like, deported the next day. So I don't know if that was, like, something that happened, neither did he, but it was something that they at least told them when they arrived to kind of scare them straight. <laughs> Welcome to our country. Do not go outside. We will send you back to yours. Right. But at the same time, Sal- Tyler Saladino, while he is um, part Japanese and Filipino, does not speak Korean, so he can't really, like, wander outside and get much done without the help of his interpreter anyway. Um which is what he was doing most of the day before we talked because he had finally had an off day and could actually go out with his interpreter and shop and get things rather than just having his interpreter go out and FaceTime him for what he wants in the grocery store. But yeah, they, they're kind of in a different world um, because they've essentially, I mean, for what sounds like us is a dream scenario in terms of having it under control and just being able to not worry about going out and they, he doesn't fly to travel. They do everything on bus trips, so it's a little bit like the minor leagues, but they, they kind of travel free without any worry. Well, they yeah, all... Korea's, Korea's not quite as large as the United States. Yeah, like he said, the longest road trip is like a four-and-a-half-hour bus ride, and the it's a, a nicer bus than the minor leagues, but the one downside is there is there is no bathroom. Um, so you, <laughs> they, 
he uh he, he's not too trusting that the bus driver would really like pull over if he asked for it but so he tries to get his business done before he boards the bus his white Sox business now now i pick and now i'm picturing tyler saladino just standing up on the bus holding himself like doing a little dance like but i really gotta go that was what i was picturing too but uh he he says he's he's been on top of it so far so credit to him he's professional you know he's 30 he knows how to hold 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 himself from going to the bathroom in front of all his teammates did did he talk at all to you about you know what the they're like the measures that they're taking with the players as far as testing and all that kind of stuff they all like get temperature checked when they come back from a road trip and like basically whenever they go into the facility there's like a big camera that's uh monitoring temperatures uh for them but like it basically it's usually not an issue it's never really gone off or like they've had any, any kind of shutdown or anything like that um he's he got tested when he arrived at the airport and when he arrives like for um like it's at a point where a lot of people are kind of still uh emigrating from china to korea and he got in the wrong line and he also they asked him to report if he had any symptoms and he thinking that he should be like super honest and, and not hide anything from this new country he was going had allergies and he just said like oh i got a runny nose and so he immediately like gets into like separated into this uh other area where everyone's like who has expressed symptoms and he's like standing next to some guy who's like sweating profusely another guy who's like <laughs> hacking up a lung and he's like thinking like oh man i've made a horrible mistake and of course he also can't communicate and he's trying to like mime out a runny nose to like a woman who has like the only words of english she can say is like have a seat Mm-hmm. so the moment he like finally gets cleared he like runs out of the airport but he gets into mandatory like 14 day quarantine in the like the apartment they set up for him they kind of do the contact del- delivery for food that they're doing here where like they set it in the bottom of his building he goes and gets it but he finally gets tested again after the end of that quarantine he's cleared and he hasn't had to do it since he's gotten tested twice so he described the test to me which was like if you think you can go if you you think you know how far back your nose goes, and that's where they uh, that's where they inject this thing that's like like a Q-tip, but really more like if they had toothbrush bristles at the end of a Q-tip. Yeah, and he's like, they, you think they go, you think you know how far back your nose goes? They go about two inches farther, <laughs> to where it's like it feels like it's digging around in the middle of the center of your forehead. And he described like a headache that he had for like a half hour afterwards. So it's like an incredibly unpleasant experience the way he describes it. It's like every bit as gnarly as like any like video you've seen on like social media circulating around. So when I float to him, the idea is like they're talking about doing it like three times a week here. And he's like, yeah, I can't imagine that. I feel like if you had to take it three times a week, you'll get extremely irritable for a while. And the other disconnect is like he gets it taken three times a week or he gets it taken twice and as long as he doesn't show any symptoms, he hasn't been tested again because they, they, they don't have a reason to suspect he's getting exposed um, all the time because they have cases under control. But that if you're in the situation where you think people are getting exposed so regularly or at risk of it that you feel like you need to test them regularly, you might as well test them every day. Uh, because if you think that if you test a guy and then he goes home and there's a chance he picks up the virus, you're then allowing... Uh, basically a 48 hour period where he can be spreading it at will. So the point of you should either be testing constantly or you should get to the 
to a level of control of the virus where you don't need to test constantly. So he does, he thinks the three times a week compromise doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Um, it's kind of straddling defense, but really works for neither approach. And uh, also the players will probably be extremely pissed having um, their foreheads dug around in with a huge <laughs> bristly uh, Q-tip um, well, all the time. The to be the good news is according to like the uh, the document that Rosenthal and the Athletic got and they detailed a little bit over the weekend, the vast majority of tests will be saliva collections. Although it says that oral and nasal swabs might be used at times, but I feel like the saliva collection probably not nearly as invasive as having a Q-tip stuck into your brain. Yeah, he described it as well like they swab around your mouth. He's, he said that's the easy part. It doesn't sound great because it's still swabbing around your mouth with a huge mm-hmm. bristly toothbrush, but um, but I do that twice a day anyway. Yeah, it it just doesn't sound like it's one of the softer uh, varieties of, of to this, this sounds more well, like I use um, a firm brush because I'm manly and I want my my gums bleeding when I'm done. Maybe this is the toothbrush you get from like the Motel Six at front desk. <laughs> Have you ever used a toothbrush from like a hotel? Oh yeah. Like, but you stay at a Marriott, right? Uh, I mean, mo- I haven't t- stayed in a Motel Six or anything recently like that. Yeah. I think if you stay at a nicer chain, it's really not a big deal. It's just a, it's not a super, you know, it's just a cheap plastic brush, but it's, it's not it's, like, it's not like durable. It's not going to last like a, six months or something. Yeah. But it's, it's not going to, you know, scrape your mouth to bits like a Captain Crunch or something. But anything else that you talked to him about? Uh, Does he miss the White Sox? Does he miss you? Does he miss us? What's going on? He, he, he said he missed Cam uh, specifically, which I thought was really odd. Um, he talked about like his mom's dogs, and at that point, I just got really weirded out. I tried to end the call as soon as possible. Uh, no, but he, he, I was flattered. Do we ever talk about Cam's mom's dogs on the show, or are people right now just like, "What the fuck are they talking about?" <laughs> Let them think on it. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if you saw the video of him like hitting a home run, um, but like he they gave him some weird like stuffed animal, and he's like chasing his teammates around with it but he ex- explained that that usually in korea you hit the home run and you're supposed to like you get two stuffed animals and you're supposed to like sign one with your autograph and chuck into the crowd and there was no there's no crowd so they got one and then apparently the silent treatment is also a thing for first timers hitting a home run in south korea so they were ignoring him and that's why he harassed them all with a stuffed animal if anyone was wondering about that highlight video because i know i was um uh- he also told them that the the stuffed animal had a runny nose from allergies. <laughs> he uh, he, it, just just for the sake of nostalgia of having an injury update, he uh, tweaked his hamstring a couple days ago, but he feels like he's back and ready to go. So if you are, are playing like KBO fantasy, you can probably uh, restart Tyler Saladino at some point. Um, he he he's off to like a a rough start offensively, but. The way he put it is like I'm so lucky to like actually be playing. Like I don't even like I I care, but I don't really care. Like I'm not like a, upset about it. Like he would be if he was like 2017 and he was trying to like claim a starting spot on the White Sox. It's more like you know there it puts things in perspectives in a, in a way that uh, it wouldn't be otherwise. Like you know if he was in the states, he would have probably gone for a minor league deal, and he'd be wondering if there's going to be any AAA baseball at all. Uh, and if he's going to have a spot on a travel roster, and instead he's like an everyday player in Korea earning like a steady wage. So I um, think a good recommendation from Eric Thames to, to play in Korea because it's, it's worked out for him. 
Did he express any concern about the Lions being four and eight and already six and a half games behind the NC Dinos in the division in the standings? He didn't like say it outright, but he described it as um, the term he uses. They're trying a lot of different things. So I took that as the Samsung Lions are rebuilding and they're yeah. kind of like figuring things out of what's going to Poor Tyler, always stuck on rebuilding teams, even in Korea. I mean, he he contributed for that Brewers team. That, true, uh, true. They, I don't know. I think it was last year where he like got called up and hit two grand slams. But he was like, he had a decent run for them when they were uh, when they finished in the pennant. I don't think he made the playoff roster, but you know, he, he's experienced the champagne uh, shower outside of the 2013 Barons Southern League Championship, which I also reminded him of. <laughs> he has had burning eyes. All right, well. Good luck to Tyler. He's also back. says he gets burning eyes when they do the coronavirus test. So cool. Call him back and tell him I said thanks for 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 joining you. I not can't on the show. Call him. He has a South Korea phone line. We did it over Zoom. Zoom him back and tell him I said thanks. Might just use an email. Zoom him. Okay. Don't comb your hair. Just get on Zoom. In I like did not comb my hair. Lit room. I was like, oh, we're doing it. we'll just do a, a audio call. Like hair was like fully like wild and sweated out and a huge puff over my head. And he like logs on and says like, hey, I can hear you, but I can't see you. And I was like, well, shit, <laughs> he wants to do a video call. I guess he's going to see this. <laughs> and then he immediately regretted his decision. There are certain times you don't want to go to a doctor's office for a medical visit. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. And that's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment's right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash White Sox for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash White Sox for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. We're going to play Good Take, Bad Take, which I don't even remember the last time we did. It's, it's, I think it was like the very first episode after the season got canceled, we did it. And we canceled? Or, sorry, postponed indefinitely. Uh, but speaking of that season, there, there are the plans to come back. So that's where we're going to start with Good Take, Bad Take. And for those listeners who are new to the show, Good Take, Bad Take is pretty, pretty simple, simple segment. What I do is I read a take to James, and he tells me whether it's a good take or a bad take. Good take implying that he agrees with it. Bad take implying that he does not agree with it. There is no gray area. There is no room for compromise. I'm glad you broke this down so detailed. People can easily get lost during this segment. Well, you know, listen. All right. Our brains are all melting a little bit right now, okay? All right. Let's just, you know. I think it's called encephalitis. First take. Major League Baseball's proposed plan to test everybody all the time, as well as have players testing themselves at home, is feasible. Uh, I'm going to say bad take after talking to Dallas Altino, because the <laughs> test sounds like egregious. I mean, is it really truly testing people all the time? I And also, I think if you're testing people all the time, it's just... Uh, 
it's indicative of you don't have the situation under control enough to really confidently move forward. And I, I'm someone who's very much like, by all means, find a way to play uh, if you can. Um, Please. But I don't, I don't know. Like, maybe they need to... The way Tyler Saldino put it is, if you're resistant to the idea of the bubble, if you if you take the test, like the full nasal swab test, you will become a lot more compliant with the bubble because you're like, anything I can do to avoid it, to get out of the suspicion where you feel like you need to test me, I'll do it. So, I don't know. He kind of sold me on the bubble by vividly describing the coronavirus test. To yeah, to, for those who haven't read it, here's just some quick outlines of the testing process that Major League Baseball has proposed uh, from Rosenthal's story at the Athletic. Like I, uh, regular testing for all players, managers, coaches, umpires, limited number of essential staff members, anybody who comes into close proximity with the players. Uh, baseball will monitor the developments in testing and attempt to use the least invasive and fastest methods commercially available. Uh, the majority of tests, like I said, will be saliva. Blood samples will be taken occasionally, too, maybe, for antibody testing. And then there's the thing that all players must go undergo intake screening upon arriving at spring training. The screening will take place at multiple locations and at staggered times. It will consist of a temperature check with contactless thermometer and body fluid and blood samples. That sounds fucking fun. Uh, individuals who are tested must self-quarantine at his or her spring training residence until the results of the testing are reported, likely within 24 to 48 hours. Any individual who tests positive is instructed to self-quarantine and gets treated accordingly. Asymptomatic individuals will still have temperature checks and screenings twice daily. Just, yeah, it's, there's a lot. To, I mean, this is only part of it. There's a lot of other things to go, and you can read them all at The Athletic. But it's just, whew, that seems like a lot. So, yeah, I'm going to go bad take, not just because of what Tyler said, but just, I feel like that that's, that is a lot to, to ask of everybody doing. And plus like, man, they get to get tested multiple times a week. Oh, well, we don't get to it. I feel like that's not going to be great from a PR standpoint. Yeah. I mean, just the, the reading the part where it, it seems like having the play them play in their home stadiums is motivated more about um, just having the games played at a time that's more televisable rather than the these are really areas where the virus is under control. I, mm -hmm. That's where they kind of lost me on thinking that was a good idea. And because of that, they seem like they have to be more lean towards testing a, a ton just because they are kind of implicitly acknowledging that, you know, these people are constantly at risk for getting infected because we're just having them play in a situation where it's not really um, set up for to be safe. All right, here, here's another one. You ready? Yes. Baseball can be played without players spitting, chewing, or eating sunflower seeds. Good take, bad take. Good take. I mean, I'm sensitive to the idea that we have our cultural norms that we associate with baseball and want to see return to baseball, but come on. I mean, I, I know as much it's going to be weird for all the guys who I uh, actively see loading up with incredible amounts of uh, <laughs> smokeless tobacco and the idea of doing an interview with, with Coop not doing some sort of chewing or spitting um, it feels foreign, but I, I think they're adults. They can make an adjustment. Um, I, 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 I think it'll be fine. Would you tell Coop to do an interview without dropping an F-bomb? 
No, because I so don't want to ring... expect him to coach without a big fucking wad of chew in his mouth. I I mean, what he doesn't he's not so she is chew. He'll he almost does something that I wish I would think to do or had the stones to do. Because like if you're talking for forty five minutes, you want like a drink of water or just to like you'll get dry mouth or something like that. And he'll just take a swig of water, swish it around, and spit it out while the middle were talking. And part of me is like, what the hell? Like, the first time it happened. But it was like, oh, that, yeah, that's a really good idea. That I mean, it, you know, if you don't worry about being seen as gross. But it, I, I, I feel like I need to rinse my mouth out a little, too. So it's just yeah, like... That way, that way your mouth stays moist, but you don't have to pee. Yeah, the, the wall... He, he just, uh, you know, that's him. That's him. Me. That's him letting me behind the curtain. I appreciate it. And also, he doesn't spit at me, so it hasn't been a problem. I say it's a bad take simply because it's totally not going to be happening. I don't think. I mean, some anybody who goes zero for five that is a regular chewer or something is going to completely blame it on not chewing, and they're going to start chewing. They're going to do it. Try it discreetly, but I'm telling you that that's going to be really difficult to enforce. All right, here, here's another one here that's more based on good take, bad take. The AL Central benefits the most from the proposed regional scheduling. Can I get, like, a clarification? Like, how so? Uh, if you look at what a typical schedule most teams would have to play, all right? Now where you're only playing your own division and your National League counterpart, the AL Central gets a bigger bonus so the, from the, the teams it doesn't have to play. They're the they're benefiting the most from they don't have to play like the superpowers of the AL. Uh huh. Okay, then yes, good take. You avoid the Astros, you avoid the Yankees, um, Rays, uh, Red Sox. Yeah, that that seems like the power of the the league. So, um, uh, I mean, maybe you could make an argument for the AL West. I would disagree there. I think if there's an ar- are, couldn't you make an argument that the Twins are as strong as uh, any team in the league? So avoiding them and the Yankees is is pretty significant. Yeah, but I think here I did I looked at it this way. I took the Pakota projections for what would have you know what was supposed well, to be. The then full you pick season. up the Dodgers in the same time, so I guess that gets neutralized. Exactly, but I I, I looked at the Pakota projections from you know what was supposed to be the full season, and I broke it down to like teams that were projected to have at least eighty five wins. The AL East had three, and the NL East had two. So those are five teams of the ten in the in that you know, quote unquote division that are projected to win at least eighty five games. So that means those are good teams. Uh, the AL Central and NL Central had four. The AL West and the NL West had four, but the AL West alone had three. The only team in the in the NL West pro- uh, projected to get at least eighty five wins was the Dodgers, who were at a hundred. Nobody else was even higher than you know, eighty four. And then on the flip side, I looked at teams projected to get 75 wins or less. In the East divisions, there were two. In the Central, there were three. And in the West, there were three. So that's why I think the only other one that has a real kind of argument for that would be the West. But the West does have to deal with the Dodgers. It does have to deal with the Astros. And it does have to deal with an Angels team that is projected to win quite a few games, as well as Oakland, which I think that is, you know, it's. I don't think of Oakland as a power, but... I do think of them as a solid team that's you know, not this easy is to beat. supposed to be like their big year because this this is their last year with Semyon. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that I, I agree. I think it's a good take that if anybody AL Central teams, because mostly because if you look at how many teams are you would consider rebuilding teams going into the season, 
two of them reside in the AL Central. So if you're playing everybody 12 times in your own division, that means the Twins, Indians, and, and White Sox. Pirates. Yeah, and then you add the Pirates. That's 36 of your, or not 36, that's 30 of your games, of your 80 games. So it's like a good 38% of the games you're playing are against three rebuilding teams. That is going to stock, that's going to help you build a base on your overall win total. Now, of course, that is also balanced out a bit by the fact that the rest of the NL Central, while it doesn't have a dominant team, it's not bad. It's got four solid teams. So that, you know, th- that'll hurt, but you're able to, you make up for that by feasting on those really bad teams. All right, next take. Blake Snell's comments on Twitch weren't great from a PR standpoint. Good take or bad take? I mean, good take in the sense that obviously they weren't responded to well, so thus it was bad PR. I don't, like, I don't begrudge him for the comments and I know what he meant. I don't, there's really no, I don't know. Like, is the alternative to just be, like, is the alternative to just be silent because basically people will never uh, trust that um, players are, or never sympathize with them because they make too much money? Or could it only be uh you know somebody who's grinding uh between triple a and, and major leagues who can never speak about the financial risk because those guys are usually too intimidated to ever talk so it's usually always going to be an established player who's pretty well off financially um so it's hard but i i understood what he meant like the the part about mm-hmm. long-term health damage uh as a potential result i think that was real and maybe he kind of glossed over it too much uh mm-hmm. And, and spent too much about, like, I got to get my money right and whatnot. But if yeah. he just speaks to the fact, like, why should we pay for a lesser uh, rate if the health risks and the long-term impact of our career is greater? That probably could have been fleshed out better. But I wouldn't really, like, I don't know, like, chastise Blake Snell for not presenting it perfectly over a Twitch stream. Like, yeah. it's, it's, not the, it's not the environment where I would expect, like, a... a, a in completely formulated theses uh so within that standard i think he did fine i i think it's a good take from the pr standpoint simply because it's it's like you said i agree with what he was saying or at least the crux of what was behind he was saying which is like dude putting my life at risk i'm not really willing to just give up you know money while putting my life at risk it's like i'd like to continue to be paid but i let you kind of what you said was that the way he framed it was he didn't really spend he, – he mentioned, you know, like long-term health risks, but he just kind of mentioned that and focused too much on I want to get mine. And I feel like if I'm like Tony Clark or I'm a union rep or somebody at the head, I was just kind of – if I'm seeing those, I'm like, shit, shit, shit. Because <laughs> I compare it to what our interview with Aaron Bummer last week when we asked Bummer a similar question. He said that like, you know, and as we see as a result with Blake Snell's Twitch comments, the money is the fire – you know, the, the 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 flammable topic of what everybody's going to focus on. But Aaron phrased it as, while the money is, of course, the money's important to everybody. He said the first and foremost thing is safety. And he gave, a you know, a nice answer about the safety precautions that he thinks that everybody needs to address before worrying about anything else. And I think that when you compare Bummer's answer to Snell's answer, they both essentially said the same thing. I just think Bummer's choice of words and way of expressing it was was much better than the way Snell went about it. Like the summary is like why would my rate of pay go down while my health risk goes up? Exactly. Exactly. Like, if you don't put it in terms of like, well, I'm not I got to get paid as obviously you're already paid, but if you just speak it in terms of like why am I why am I doing more for less? 
Mm-hmm. And right and rightly or wrongly, PR is like when it comes to these kind of negotiations between you know union owners, all that kind of shit. PR wars kind of do matter. Uh, all right, here's another one on that same topic though. Worrying about 2020 revenues is short sighted by both teams and owners or players and owners. Um, I mean, it's always hard to answer about owners because you don't know what they're facing because uh, they don't open their books. And you also don't know like what their immediate responsibilities are to like other minority stakeholders or whether or not they're like, it seems it, by the way they operate that they're under some in some way beholden to show immediate like profit on a yearly basis because otherwise if it was purely about like the individual worth of the owners um the way they behave wouldn't really make uh much sense like they kind of operate on the idea that they can't take a loss ever when they're all like billionaires so i i I assume there's something we don't know because otherwise they're just uh there's kind of a nonsensical element to their behavior a lot of times uh, but I would say good take because, yeah, I think this is like a very big, this just reminds me of like NBA efforts to expand their uh, uh, their place in China, where obviously they took like a big loss for a couple, mm-hmm. couple of years, but there's like a long-term benefit just expanding your reach. This is like, I don't know if this is really an uh, opportunity to expand your reach, but this is a very unique opportunity where if you get going, you're the only game in town or you kind of dominate the the landscape in a way that you don't have uh, the opportunity to normally. Uh, so yeah, I, I think the idea that you would take a loss in 2020 when you could get so much exposure, uh, yeah, being paid in exposure, but <laughs> you would just get so much uh, kind of eyeballs and so much kind of like tied to the idea of the country's memory of uh, kind of coming back that I feel like that's, they should project some long-term value into that more than just like, well, we're going to lose money in the, in the immediate. Yeah, see, I I think it's a good take too, simply because, like you you just said, it's this is a weird opportunity for baseball to try to gain popularity, which is it's been lagging in. It's been you know there's been a decline in it over the years, where it's falling you know further behind the NFL, obviously, which is a behemoth, but the NBA, and it's becoming you know the third most popular major sport, and based on like younger viewership and younger kind of like those surveys, it suggests it's not going to get better. And I feel like this is kind of a situation where if you think back to the 94 strike where everything was really bad, 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 everybody was giving up on baseball. And then the whole McGuire Sosa steroid enhanced home run derby thing came on and it really, you know, kind of brought baseball back to the forefront as a popular sport in the country. I think that this is a chance for baseball if it, figures out a way to do this and get back out there. And it's like the only real, you know, if it's the only major sport going on in the country, I mean, let's, I was, I've been watching Korean baseball. I've been watching the Bundesliga, although I was watching soccer in the Bundesliga beforehand, but more people are watching Bundesliga. I watched NASCAR yesterday. I even watched a little bit of golf and these aren't sports that I typically take in a lot of, but they were sports and they were on. So I'm spending a, I'm spending my time watching them because it's all I got going right now. And I think that I'm not alone in that. And I think that if you want to bring in new fans now, as bad as everything is, now would be a great time to try to get that done. So I think that maybe spend a little less time worrying about 2020 as far as revenue is concerned. Safety, spend all the time you need to on that trying to figure that out. But as far as the money, 
I wouldn't get too caught up on it because I think you could make more in the long run. That said, I also understand why the players aren't really for a 50-50 kind of split, simply because that can be construed as a salary cap. And when it comes to negotiations, you don't want to give any precedent of a salary cap being used, no matter the situation or the reason behind it. So I get that's, it. That's the third rail. Mm-hmm. At least for, although if the luxury tax is a fucking salary cap, even if we don't want to call it that, that's exactly what it is. But anyways. Yes. yes. Semantics. Uh, next take. You wrote about Scott Ruffcorn this weekend because you were commanded to by a reader, and James, you do as you're told. But the take I have for you is that Scott Ruffcorn's stock as a prospect was inflated because of the success the White Sox had had in the four drafts previous to taking him in the first round. In those four years, they drafted Jack McDowell, Robin Ventura, Frank Thomas, and Alex Fernandez. So I'm essentially asking you, do you think Ruffcorn's prospect value was enhanced simply because the White Sox had hit out of the park grand slams on their last four picks and people just thought that Ruffcorn was going to be the next great one? Uh, I would push against the uh, notion that Ruffcorn was like illegitimate. But I also think this take is mostly bulletproof because it's like the Dodgers or the Rays. If a team shows they have like good player development and can safely bring these guys, or even like White Sox, like maybe eight, ten years ago, or off the wake of sale, where it's like, well, if you got like this successful college guy with big stuff and there's command issues you have to work out, and you see them kind of like migrate these guys to the majors really quickly you kind of maybe trust that they're going to be able to achieve the same, probably the way we all assumed that they'd be able to fix Carson Fulmer, even though he was kind of a higher walk guy in college. Scott Ruffcorn was a huge stuff, uh, questionable control guy, but you had seen them because they, yes, you you mentioned that they had the success uh, with their previous play development. That was probably a period of time where you trusted that the White Sox are going to figure this guy out and straighten him out. Um, Just like you'd probably... Trust that they were going to make uh, John Garland an effective sinker baller at a time when they had like nineteen thousand other effective sinker ballers. It it you, it probably it inevitably uh, puts a rosier view on um, how you think that their prospects are going to be. Uh, so yeah, it, it, I can't really question it, but I would put at the same time like Scott Ruffcorn was legit. He had really big stuff and like was a perfect frame. And, like, I mean, Doug Glanville reshooting my stories. They're like, yeah, that guy's stuff was like nightmarish. So. I, I don't think it was like he was it, it wasn't like he was just overrated based on some sort of name value, I feel. But uh, yeah, I, I think that always is an effect. I mean, Yankees prospects for years were just like historically overrated just because there was so much trust in their 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 PD. So. Mystique. Right. So that that's always a thing. I want to I'm going to change the name of this segment to bulletproof take bad take. I mean, that's what you want as a team at some point is oh, yeah. for your prospects to be overrated because then you can freaking trade them for more than you should get. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, read Scott Ruffcourt. Go read James's story at The Athletic on Ruffcourt if you haven't already because it is it is definitely like a, uh, oh, hey, I remember that guy kind of thing. And there's been a – it's always fun to remember some guys sometimes. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I remember Ruffcourt as being – the way Hawk talked about Ruffcourt, I, of course, thought that like everybody else – and every prospect that ever came up that the way Hawk talked about him, Ruffcorn was probably going to be the greatest pitcher of all time. All I right. just remember having all these baseball trading cards of him, and he was always wearing a suit. And I never had a card of him like pitching in a game. <laughs> wearing a uniform. <laughs> so I wondered, like, what? what's the story of this dude? Is he like the executive vice president? What is he? All right, next take. It is Jerry Reinsdorf's fault that the Bulls dynasty ended after six titles. 
I don't want to say bad take, because sure, of course. I mean, and the explanation he gives at the end of the series of saying, like, well, their market value wasn't, like, what it was worth sounds bad. And everyone reacted to it negatively, and they're right to, because it doesn't make sense. Um, like, I don't know, if you're the team owner, if you're the GM, I understand you saying that, like, this team's going to underperform. And obviously, Jerry often, like, breaks things down in terms of competitiveness. But, like, if you're the owner... You would make money hand over fist playing washed up Michael Jordan. Even if the team was bad, even if they were like 40 and 42, he would have like sold out every single game that year. So I don't know how much he really would care that they he, but had he to sold out. Them. He sold out every game without Jordan anyway. And it's true. And maybe that's part of his thinking. It was like, well, I got the brand built up at this point. Mm-hmm. I have such a like a season ticket weight holder wait list that, you know, who cares? But it, it, it struck me as more a polite cover because he kind of says at the end, um, it would have taken a few years for them to build it back up. And I felt like that was him kind of burying the lead a little bit that they really thought this team was uh, was worn out. And I think there's a big argument for that. Um, I, I think Michael would still be fine because he's like a legendary player, but he is 36 the next season. Yep. Rodman is 37 when they win the last title. He plays 35 more games in his life. Um. Basically, everybody on the team is like 33 or over. But another thing I think that maybe he's covering for is that Phil Jackson never at any point says like, yeah, we should have been brought back. Like, he's very much like the the situation was totally done and not coming back. And, you know, I credit to Michael that he wants, he's got this ultimate warrior mentality. He doesn't want to ever give in until like they're defeated on the court and it's clear that they're washed up. And obviously that's why he comes back to the Wizards to kind of have this like, to you know, die on a shield and whatnot. But the scenario he lays out of them coming back is like, oh, I would have taken a one-year deal. Phil would have taken a one-year deal. And then he gets to Scotty. He's like, Scotty, mm, that would have been taken a little convincing. <laughs> that line is like carrying the most weight any like single sentence ever. <laughs> would have taken a little convincing. That dude wanted to get like traded during the last year of his contract, <laughs> during the middle of a title season, and like was legit about it. They would have he, they would have had to move mountains to possibly resign him. Uh, this is probably leading into the note that my wife has this podcast, me yelling too much, but I, I did, they really would have had, I don't know how they would have resigned him. Um, he was so, and part of that is their fault. So I would drift back to them saying good take. Uh, but I, I don't think, I don't know how they would have possibly resigned Scotty Pippen and they could have brought that team back. I think it still ends at six titles. Like maybe I would make the argument given the run that they had, that ownership is obligated to just bring that team back and keep running it back until they get do get a chance to fail rather than having this ending set for them. But I think the best case scenario of that team, and then also there's a lockout to consider, is yep. see getting, I was about to bring that up. It's just watching like Tim Duncan go for forty five and twenty over like aging Luke Longley four games in a row and getting eviscerated by that Spurs team in the finals, even if they if they even get there. Yeah, I, I think it's a bad take. I'll say it. Now, I'm not saying Reinsdorf doesn't have any role in it, I think, but to blame him for it is is, is a bad take. Because I think one of my problems with the way that the documentary framed it at the end, and it's important to remember, you know, Michael had, you know, kind of a final say in a lot of things that they showed, 
is that, as you mentioned, first of all, they didn't even bring up the fact that the next year was a shortened season because of a lockout. So not only are you bringing everybody back, but now you're bringing them back a year older for a season that you're not even 100% sure. Is I'm going sure to Rodman play. would have come back from the layoff, like just you know, ready yeah, to go. Exactly. <laughs> he was, yeah, he lasted, he lasted with the Lakers for a couple months before they got rid of him. Okay. Like a couple he was, weeks. He was super, super duper into being there. But to Michael saying, like he, he mentions, you know, he says, like, Phil, they literally show Phil saying he asked me if I wanted to come back. And I said no. And then Michael's saying, well, I would have come back for another year. And if you would have asked Steve Kerr and Dennis and those guys, they would have all come back for another year. Steve Kerr holding out and ruining the whole reunion. I will say this. did Was Steve Kerr interviewed in this documentary? <laughs> A little bit. Was Dennis Rodman interviewed in this documentary? Uh, yes, despite showing Were up other two players hours late. interviewed in this documentary? Yes. Not, okay, so not Luke Longley. Why did they show Mike saying I would come back for a year when the, and I'm sure they could have asked Steve Kerr and Dennis Rodman and if they all would have said yes, why wasn't that in the documentary? Because it's important to remember here. The Bulls afterwards signed and traded Scottie Pippen, Steve Kerr and Luke Longley. All three of them went to new teams and got the largest contracts of their career. Now, yeah, maybe they all would have come back for another year. And maybe now, 20 some odd years later, they would definitely say, oh, yeah, we would have done it for another year, you know, for like a minimum deal. But you could have asked him. And the fact that none of them are in the documentary saying so leads me to be pessimistic about Michael's assertion that all of them would have been willing to come back for another year deal just for a chance to win a title. Maybe they would have. Maybe they wouldn't. If I'm Steve Kerr. How when, I'm not going to have another chance to cash in like Steve Kerr had a chance to cash in when he went to San Antonio. Luke Longley is not going to have another chance to cash in like he had when he went. I think he went to what Phoenix. Phoenix. I can't. Yeah, and he's done by '01. Scotty probably, if he'd wanted to, would have gotten a nicer deal, but he would not have gotten the deal he got from Houston, and then eventually got you know when he was traded to Portland shortly afterwards. So I'm not super. I don't I don't really agree with that part very much. I think that's just Mike kind of saying how he feels and applying his feelings to everybody else, which you might have noticed over the 10 episodes is something that Mike maybe is prone to doing. <laughs> just All right. Bit. All right. So now that we, we talked about the Bulls, we can we can end. Good take. Bad take. And it's time for shout outs. James, I, 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 went, I went a little bit in your direction. Over the weekend, I, I told you I hooked up my PS3. I went from like not playing video games for a decade to now the video games are my beat in our podcast. Which is kind of funny because I, I played like FIFA a lot. And honestly, during the quarantine, I've hardly played any video games until this weekend when I hooked up my PS3 and I started a new dynasty on NCAA Football 14. And I created my coach, Sweets McRae, the Louisiana high school legend who took over as the offensive coordinator at Louisiana Monroe, led the team to a poinsettia bowl, and then left to take over the offensive coordinator job at Iowa State. Now, Sweets didn't want to leave. He wanted to stay at ULM. But what happened was Todd Berry, the coach, he got whisked away, taken to Kentucky, who offered them their job. And Sweets, while he would never say so publicly, felt like he played a large role in Todd Berry getting that Kentucky job, but he's still happy for Todd. I don't know. But then, I, you, you screenshotted a lot of 20 to 17 games. I don't know if their offense is really clicking. I'm playing on Heisman, okay? And I haven't played in years. All right? Cut me some damn slack. I still went 9-4 and four with ULM. All right? I won a Sunbelt Conference title, okay? Okay. I'm backing down. 
And then when ULM, when the job came open for ULM, didn't even interview me. Wasn't even a candidate. They hired somebody else. So when Iowa State came and offered me the offensive coordinator job, I said, you know, I, I grew up in Louisiana. ULM is home to me. It'll always be home to me. But damn it, you know, sometimes like Scottie Pippen, you just got to feel wanted. So go Cyclones. Is, uh, how does, how does Sweets today. feel about fake friends? Sweets doesn't have friends. Sweets has family. Does he have any family left at ULM? Yeah. I don't remember their names, but yeah. <laughs> Relatable. So, yeah, so that's, well, we'll probably be talking about this more on the podcast as we go along. How's Tiago? <laughs> Tiago is in a morass of, uh, of pain and resentment. He, uh, he just got off the bench uh, from after withdrawing his third transfer request. Um, third. <laughs> well, third he, transfer request. He made one at the start of the January uh, window. And it got to turn down, and uh, we decided you know, played a couple more games, and they made another one in the middle of the month, and uh, that got turned down too. And uh, you know, then the playing time started to get a little sporadic, <laughs> even though he's like leading the you know Super League in scoring and uh, is face I don't know, basically '80s Bernard King in terms of scoring volume. <laughs> So it seems kind of absurd and insulting. Like one one of them could be like it was like a a Sunday game after a Wednesday game. It could be considered like a rest day, but it then started to get like, a little purposeful. Clearly, um, you getting, know, getting set in the the Europe Europa tournament was pretty insulting. Uh, Tiago Tiago is young and impressionable, and I don't want to put too much blame on him. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say that he's getting bad career advice from somebody. I don't. I what the I don't know what you're talking about, buddy. Three three transfer demands in a month seems a bit excessive and a bit diva ish. Anyway, James. So so then we got to like transfer deadline day, and that's usually where we see a lot of movement. <laughs> and so you know we thought we'd go ahead and th- we throw another transfer request in the bucket. Jesus Christ. <laughs> here's here's a clue to James's advisor or Tiago's advisors. If they say no the first time, they're probably not going to say yes the second time. And if they definitely, if you do ask a second time and they say no, they're definitely not going to say yes the third time. Just, just well, future maybe food for thought. The feelings started to get even more activated after the two turndown requests. Maybe we got uh, the benching. You know, it just kind of got clear that, like the writing's on the wall that he's not appreciated here, and he needs to leave and move on with the next step in his life. And they, the, this team is going to actively hold him back. So maybe that yes. was more the thinking, Tom. I don't know. In Tiago's mind, not being appreciated is equivalent to not doing everything I command. Who do you have a shout out for, James? Uh, but to continue with the story oh, a little bit. Okay, I'm sorry. The third transfer request, they say, okay, we'll we'll field out offers. And then the hours are ticking by, the last 10 hours for the transfer window, and not hearing anything. And with an hour left, we get an offer. And it's for double his current salary. But you know where it's from? It's from frickin' Fenerbach. <laughs> to stay in Turkey in the same frickin' league and just go to the fourth place team. That was the frickin' offer they came up with. Which is not, and because Tiago is not anti Besiktas, it's about trying to advance to a higher level of competition to continue his career. Uh, you know, we declined that uh, that offer. Holy shit. So you demand three transfer and then an offer comes in and you declined <laughs> We're trying to get to a higher league, you're, not just playing the fourth never, place team. You are never going to play again, and you don't deserve to play again. Now, Cam's got a hard out here. So, James, who's your shout out for? It's not to the manager, Dickface. Uh, it's 
it's uh it's 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 to my wife Jacqueline for providing a very good note about the future of the podcast. Uh, I, I didn't solicit her feedback, but she let us know that uh, on occasional times and episodes we can get uh, extremely loud. So that is something that we'll try to work on a little bit better uh, than obviously I did on this episode because I I don't know when I started shouting or what about. It's probably about Scott Ruffcorn, but um. I don't I don't think that's on us as much as it's on our producer who should do a better job of leveling the audio that's just me yeah turn the headphones all up. Okay. leveled <laughs> it's all leveled you tell jacqueline that she's she's right i should be a bit more bit more meticulous with that <laughs> i didn't know where that was going yeah I, there's nowhere it was going I, jacqueline's right cam's cam's given the jack jacqueline the, the stick to brazilian butt lift <laughs> he'll stick to producing great time to wrap Tom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, that's that's a good. Wow, we're almost at nearly an hour, Cam. Where do you got to leave for us, Cam? What do you got to go do? Uh, more of the last dance stuff. Mike Tallin, one of the producers on the show, and nobody is cares. Nobody cares, oh, Cam. The series anyway, is over, Cam. Yeah, serious. Yeah, it was it's, rhetorical. Sorry, I I'm stupid. Yeah. Oh, hey, can we get a drop on that, Cam? Saying can, I'm stupid. Uh, was this one in Jacqueline's notes? Just how Tom torments me and. It, it hurts my feelings sometimes. That's actually her favorite part of the show. But anyways, oh, okay. your favorite part of the show is probably right now because it's ending. And we appreciate you for listening. Uh, we will be back later in this week. Uh, hopefully, you know, as I say at the end of every episode, we're a little bit closer to baseball being played and therefore baseball being discussed in actual baseball ways. I know I'm looking forward to it happening. So from James, from Cam, from Jacqueline, Tiago, and Sweets. Thank you for listening to White Sox Business.